So we'll be reading from Mark chapter 4, um, verse 35 to 41. Um, and then after that, uh, we'll continue to read, um, I think another Mark, chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. So just a little bit of context. So we've been reading Mark's gospel, um, hearing how Jesus um, compassions as he helps those that come to him and call out to him. Um, so let's go back to the first uh, story first, where um, when Jesus and the disciple were on the boat in a storm. Mark's four, chapter three, uh, chapter four. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciple, "Let us go over the other side." Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was, they were near, it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in a stern, sleeping in a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, let's read the second reading. Later after this, Jesus crossed back across the sea to see where he has been doing a lot of ministry. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leader named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal um, under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power, the power has gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? If you, you see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around and to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to, to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciple who were with him and went in there where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita kum, which means little girl, I say you, get up. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders to let it, to not let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thank you, Noreen. Uh, it really is lovely to have Noreen on our team, a, a delight, um, because she's not only extremely good at you know, her professional work, uh, she's extremely good at that, um, but also just the culinary uh, wonder that she brings to our team. So we, um, we've got quite an international team uh, of ministry staff uh, and, and ad- admin staff, and uh, we have lunch together each Monday. Uh, and it really is a win when someone like uh, Noreen is on, uh, on lunch for that day. The other thing I, to tell you is, you know how you know, Noreen said, if you'd like to be part of the team doing the street food night... Let me tell you, that is the team to join because part of the teamwork is getting together to taste the different foods and sample them. What, what a team to be part of. Like, I'd pay uh, to be on that team. Anyway, uh, lovely to see you all. I'm very excited to bring God's Word uh, to you this morning. Um, it really is uh, the Lord Jesus. I just pray, as Tim did, that he touches your heart that you experience his love and his compassion, uh, just as so many of us have. So I want to, a big question today, does God care? Let's throw that one on the screen. Does God care? And I want to introduce you to a lady named A.N. Hersey Alley. Uh, She has wrestled with this question, does God care, uh, for her whole life. Uh, She was brought up, uh, so she's my age, Anyone guess my age? Six, six, we get out of here. 54 years old, right? Born in 1969. Um, And she was brought up in Islamic culture in Somalia and then Kenya. At five years old, her grandmother kind of secretly arranged for her to have female circumcision. Uh, In our society, it is such... uh, uh, an awful procedure that it's known as female genital mutilation. Uh, and so that was part of her Islamic purity in that culture. As a teenager, she fully embraced uh, a more fundamentalist Islam, the, the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, but then in her late 20s, um, after some terrible experiences, 
uh, and especially after feeling treated terribly as a woman within her culture, she decisively rejected her religious upbringing uh, and its abuse of women. The 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Centre were kind of like a nail in the coffin, you know, that she, on her religious faith. It kind of reinforced for her what she already, ex, uh, already suspected, that is, the Islamic faith is evil and God is a monster. Uh, and she's since written a number of books uh, about this. But let me read just a few quotes. It was a relief to adopt an attitude of scepticism towards a religious doctrine. It was a relief to discard my faith in God and declare that no such entity existed. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in angels or the hereafter. The only position that leaves me with no cognitive dissonance is atheism. Now, that's a more complex sentence, but she's saying the only thing that made sense in life was atheism. There is nothing more, but I want nothing more. Uh, And her story resonated with so many around the world. She became a leader in the new atheist movement and became very good friends with Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, and so on. But all that changed recently when A.N. met the Lord Jesus. Uh, And so I'm going to have more to say about A.N. at the end, Um, but you've got to keep listening uh, if you want to hear about that. Um, But does God care? Many around us, many particularly in the Western world, say, no, God, if there is a God, he is a monster. There is so much suffering that God just seems to turn a blind eye to. So here's a famous article that expressed it in the Huffington Post. God doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about anyone in particular. He doesn't care whose house is spared from a tornado or whose city gets flooded by a hurricane. God doesn't care. Like it or not, we're on our own. That's the kind of crashing conclusion of many in our world. But look at that. The news today, good news, God does care. Um, And we'll see that. We'll see God demonstrate his care in sending his son, his only son, the Lord Jesus. And we'll see his heart of compassion uh, that drove him in everything he did. Uh, And just like Tim, my prayer is that you will experience his love and compassion for you personally, not just for the world, but for you. So, Mark chapter 4, the disciples are caught in a fierce storm. Uh, These are professional fishermen. They're used to being out on Lake Galilee. They're used to storm waters surging. Most Jewish people would not venture out onto the sea because the sea is the place of, like, the. it's a portal to the underworld. And who knows what dark supernatural beasts lie beneath the surface of the water and as the waters are stirred up who knows where it's coming from what supernatural forces are at work so there was just a lot of anxiety about the sea but there is Jesus and his disciples caught up in a huge storm and I want to say I've been out there Um, you may not look at me and think there is a hardened boatman but I I was out on Botany Bay in a little yacht with my brother-in-law 
and this massive southerly storm came through. He didn't look too afraid, my brother-in-law, but I was petrified and the waves were just towering above us. I felt so small, so vulnerable, but I didn't pee my pants, right, in the midst of it all, (laughs) just to establish that. Um, But I know how it is to feel so small and vulnerable and powerless in the moment. And that's how Jesus' friends are feeling, even though they're professional fishermen. And what's their question for Jesus? They find that he's asleep and they say, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? You're just sleeping through this moment, but this is life or death to us. They shake him awake. Don't you care? Uh, And why was Jesus asleep on the boat? Because he was exhausted. If you've been reading along with us through Mark's gospel, you just see his ministry is relentless because he had something to offer a sick, broken and dying world. He offered inclusion, forgiveness, healing. And so everyone who had any need wanted a piece of action from Jesus. And so he was just constantly in demand And so the only time he gets a chance to rest is in a boat in the middle of a storm, sound asleep. But as soon as he wakes up, he rebukes the wind and the waves, quiet, be still, and amazingly, everything goes quiet. And the disciples are freaked out at this point. Verse verse 40, Jesus said to his disciples, so this is Mark chapter 4, please open your Bibles, it'd be great if you were following Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now we know that the one who calms the wind and the waves in the Old Testament from the Psalms, it is God himself. He has the power to do that. But there's three key questions here in this little episode. Who is Jesus? Does he care? Right? He's powerful, but does he care for the individual? Does he care for individuals in their moment of need? So who is Jesus? Does he care? And his, his, Jesus' question, why are you so afraid? Uh, why don't you believe? And so it's that desire for Jesus as they come to know who he is, to move them from fear to faith and to, and to cast their cares on him because he does care. Uh, and so that's a dynamic that we're working with as we uh, move our way through Mark's gospel. This morning we come to two beautiful exchanges. And it feels like this morning's like Women's Day at the lakes. I hadn't realised, you know, we heard about the women's retreat, which you want to get, we interviewed Noreen. We're going to meet these two interactions that Jesus has. So firstly, it's Jairus and his daughter. Verse 22. So this is Mark chapter 5, verse 22. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is not something we're used to with the religious leaders. They have been antagonistic, prejudiced towards Jesus. But this man is desperate, isn't he? Uh, He has a real urgent need. 
And so he cast himself at Jesus' feet. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. It is so refreshing to hear him put aside those religious prejudices and actually recognize Jesus has something that I need. And he humbles himself before Jesus. Right, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of like the senior pastor here at the Lakes. This guy was senior pastor of a Jewish church in the first century. Falls at Jesus' feet, begs him. Now, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus' busyness, right? He was very busy. Uh, and I, I um, you know, I wrestle with my capacity, you know, and even if God gave me the biggest heart bursting with compassion, I know that there's kind of limits to my capacity. Uh, and so, and I kind of, I kind of wonder if Jesus had a life coach, um, what would his life coach advise him as he comes into some of these interactions? Um, so here is Jairus that comes up to Jesus. Now, many of you have seen this decision matrix, right? So let's um, just work with me here. Um, so urgent, important, top left-hand corner, the green. Non-urgent, important, top right. Bottom left, not urgent, and sorry, urgent but not important. Uh, and in the red, not important, not urgent. Right? And, so, and so this is a framework for making decisions of how I spend my time, they often say you want to spend as much time in the yellow as possible, but you've got to deal with those green things and you've kind of got, got to get rid of the, the blue and the red, right? So if it's, if it's green, do it. It's urgent and important, get it done. If it's yellow, make a decision, schedule it so that, you, so that it doesn't push into that green. Anyway, you get the idea. All right, so this synagogue leader comes up to Jesus which box does his request belong in? Have a quick word to the person next year. Okay, it's not a complex question, is it? I hope. Um, so where would you put it? Who'd put it in green? Who'd put it somewhere else? Okay. Okay, so most of us put it in the green. Um, I, certainly from Jairus' perspective, it's green, isn't it? That even though it's a society that didn't really value little children uh, as much as our society say, um, he, this is his daughter, and he loves her. And, and so for him, it's urgent and important. But I reckon for others, they would say, Jesus, this is something you need to give urgent importance to because it's not just about this little girl. Whose girl is it? It's the local synagogue leader's daughter. And if you heal this little girl, that will be like a, a doorway into that whole religious leaders who are so prejudiced against you. So there's an, a chance that if you do this thing, the door of acceptance will be open to you, to that religious elite. 
Uh, and so, you know, she's dying. It's obviously urgent. And I reckon there's a good case for saying this is important. Uh, even though she's not important to everyone, here's a moment. Yeah? Okay. So we're kind of agreed. Um, now, as Jesus is on his way in this urgent, important moment, he allows himself to get distracted by another moment, uh, the bleeding woman. Now, when I say the bleeding woman, I don't mean it like as the English say, you know, uh, but, <laughs> but, but literally a woman who... Anyway, let me read, right? Verse 25. Uh, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Uh, I just want to reflect on that. So I've got a a chronic illness, Parkinson's disease. Uh, And even in a culture like Australia, something that doesn't have an easy remedy, there are so many avenues for spending so much money on miracle cures, even in our society. And that's with the blessings of modern medicine and technology in this society this woman would easily be bankrupt uh, by a whole lot of medical quasi-religious con men and women Uh, and so she's become bankrupt trying to deal with her sickness when she heard about Jesus verse 27 she came up behind him in the crowd she touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes I'll be healed Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised power had gone out from him. It's such a strange encounter, isn't it? Power has gone out from Jesus. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around To see who had done it. Can you see that Jesus delays at this critical moment? Jairus' daughter is dying and yet he's distracted by this woman who's bleeding. Where do you think Jesus, where, where do you think you'd put this woman and her need on that little grid? Just have a word to the person next to you. I'm going to invite Mel up. Are you happy to come up, Mel? I'm going to invite Mel up. You just chat, and I'm going to ask Mel that sort of question. She can share with us some thoughts. Yeah. Thank you, Mel. Chat to the person next to you. Don't get distracted by Mel. Right? Okay. Um, so let, let's do a quick vote. So where, where, where do you reckon this... Where would you put this lady and her need in, in that society? So gr- yellow, green, yeah. Where do you reckon the average person in that society would put her? Blue or red, okay. What do you, Mel, share, share some of your reflections. Yeah, well, I think um, life for this woman, woman would have been very different from the rest of society. So when you were bleeding in Bible times, you went to this um, unclean tent 
where anything you sit on or lay on would be considered unclean. So you're kind of ostracized from the rest of society. And sometimes I like to imagine that this tent was kind of fun, but then I remember that um, it is different to now. I couldn't just kick back with my favourite show and a block of chocolate. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it would have been unhygienic. There's no kind of iron tablets. This woman would have been so exhausted and completely outcast from the rest of society. So she wasn't allowed to eat with others, to work with others or to worship with others. Um, And she wasn't allowed to even touch others because that would make them unclean. So it's it's related to the, the religious rules around clean and unclean. So in a, in a spiritual sense, isolated, physically, right, in her own tent, socially, um, just emotionally, just isolated. So it's one thing, as you say, to isolate yourself, mm. you know, as a break. But this woman, it was forced on her as a life thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I think her, the chronic nature of it too, mm. like you said, she wasn't dying. So yeah. it's not really urgent, yeah. but just something that has continued on for a really long time. Yeah. And chronic illness is, is hard, isn't it? Because we love to fix things. And when something's chronic, it just compassion, it, it tests our compassion, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so I agree. Yeah, m- most people would have regarded her as an outsider. Um, her chronic illness, she, even after she's been healed, you think, well, this is now non-urgent, non-important, because she's healed. And so Jesus can just move on. But he still stops, stops down in this moment. Um, Verse 33, the the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So where do you think Jesus puts this woman? Well, he yeah, he really stops down and seeks her out. Um, He talks with her and she becomes the most important thing in that moment, which I think is just extraordinary um even after jesus says who touched me you kind of maybe expect him to rebuke her for doing that but he doesn't at all he um, kind of ex- she kind of expected yeah, that didn't she yeah she, yeah she yeah. might have um yeah. yeah so it's urgent for jesus and it's really important for yep. him as well yeah and and you see the importance of her because he calls her daughter and then they're not biologically Related, but I take it he's saying you're a daughter of God, you're precious, uh, and so that's what he—that's the way he regards. But I love what you said, Mel, that in that moment she is the most important thing for Jesus, uh, and isn't it so precious when someone treats you like that um, in the moment? Um, so why do you why do you think this is, Mel? Why is she like? For most of the crowd, even for the disciples, they'd put her in the red. But for Jesus, she's in the green, urgent, important. Why do you think that is? It just shows us that Jesus has such great compassion on those that are needy and suffering um, and that he really values women in mm. a society that often didn't. Yeah. That's really precious. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Um, 
So, so yeah, I think what Jesus wants to do is take this anonymous, timid, shame-filled woman and remember the movement, he wants her to move from fear to faith. So she already expresses faith in him, touching his clothes, but he wants to strengthen that faith, to move it from this impersonal encounter to a, a personal encounter with Jesus. Now, have, can you give us any reflections for today? Yeah, this passage is a, a really great encouragement for me personally, because um, it reminds me that Jesus cares um, in times when I feel like a bit of an outcast, when I'm feeling lonely, or like when other people's lives are moving on. Um, and I've seen this in the lives of other women and men as well, as they hold on to Jesus. He makes um, such a difference. He sees their suffering. Um, Jesus sees the thing that people have often been suffering in silence with, the thing that makes them feel really ostracised. Maybe it's relationship breakdown, infertility or miscarriage, loneliness or parenting struggles. Um, Jesus notices that and he really understands. Um, And I've seen many women come to him, be comforted and cared for. Uh, I have a great hope in him because of that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, lo- that's been lovely. Can you um, give thanks to Mel for coming and joining us? Uh, and please, so yeah, take a seat, Mel. But please make sure you uh, glean from Mel's wisdom uh, and her experience uh, in, in life uh, along the way. Um, but I want to say to each one of us here, you matter to Jesus. Um, and, I, and it's not just we matter to Jesus, it's you personally, you as an individual, uh, in all the mix of your shame or fears or sickness, all the stuff about you that no one else seems to get or understand or be able to cope with, Jesus loves you and cares for you in the midst of that. Uh, And he wants to take you from fear and insecurity and shame. He wants to strengthen your faith in him, to know his forgiveness, his acceptance, um, the joy that he brings, the hope, uh, the assurance that he will never leave you or forsake you. And so uh, I just want to encourage us, don't hold Jesus at arm's length uh, because he loves you. Now, I want you to notice, I want to just continue on with the story because this delay with the bleeding woman is very costly for Jairus' daughter. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus insists. Um, He enters this house full of tears and loud wailing. A little girl, 12 years old, is now dead. Jesus enters and he claims, no, no, this girl is merely asleep. But the crowd, they know she's dead. Uh, They have enough of an idea about that. So their, their tears and wailing turns to sarcastic laughter and kind of scoffing. But sure enough, Jesus reaches out, takes hold of this girl's hand and raises her to life. Um, This is 
This is a Daniel 12 moment. Daniel 12 talked about, you know, way back in the Old Testament, there'll come a day when those who sleep in the dust of death will awake to everlasting life. And what Jesus is doing with this little girl is a foretaste of the resurrection age that Jesus was bringing in. And that little phrase Jesus uses, Talitha Kum, little girl, um, it also can be translated little lamb because it's quite an affectionate little term. Like saying, lemmicans, you know, get up. Now, I don't know. Anyway, you know, you know what I'm saying, isn't it? Little, little girl, little lamb. And, uh, and it, it just makes me think of Jesus as the good shepherd coming in, gathering the little lambs who are in such need of care, gathering them and, and offering protection and strength and safety, allowing them to flourish. And so the little girl rises from the dead. Now, we started today with the question, does God care? Does Jesus care? You know, don't you care if we drown? And the answer of Mark's gospel is a resounding yes. Um, So what we've seen this morning is two moments, Jairus' daughter and the bleeding woman, But there are 13 moments that Mark captures. And uh, a friend of mine this week from our church put them together on a a screen for us there. Uh, And and what this is, is many of these are anonymous people who come to Jesus in, in a moment of great need. They throw themselves before Jesus and plead with him, uh, please help me. And as you look at that kind of list of illnesses and so on, oppression, you get a feeling of how sick society was. This is not how the people of Israel were meant to be. God's people should have been a light. But there was just such darkness and sickness and evil oppression. They lived under the shadow of death and there was fear, loneliness. And I want to say, I don't think... Those things are on the surface as much in our society, but you just scratch a little bit below the surface, and that is our world that we live in. And sometimes we kind of put on a brave front, but I suspect that for each one of us, there is oppression and fear and sickness uh, for us or a loved one, and that that looming spectre of death and what lies beyond. We too live in the valley of death under the shadow of darkness. Um, But for each of these individuals that kind of come into the story for a moment and then leave, for each of these individuals, their need is urgent and important in the moment. Uh, as they endure pain and fear and shame and isolation and they encounter the man who can help them. And wonderfully, Jesus treats each one with that same tender care and compassion. Each one becomes the most important thing to Jesus in that moment. Now, I want you to watch... Oh, sorry, can you go back? You've, 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 you've stolen my thunder there, please. Uh, now, watch what happens, right? So you've got this world of darkness and fear, and Jesus comes along, just one by one, right? Deals with them, right? 
I just thought that was a lovely kind of moment. Uh, moving from fear, sickness, death, to joy, forgiveness, life, uh, no longer under the shadow of death. But we're going to see even more clearly, even more clearly than all of that, as Jesus resolutely walks the road to the cross, that will be where we see his love and compassion most clearly in action. As he, as he, everyone around him, even his disciples, don't get what he's doing as he steps step by step towards his death that will be filled with shame and mocking, utterly misunderstanded, utterly slandered, a complete act of injustice and torture as he has hung on the cross, but he does it to pay for our sin, to deal with our problem of the need of forgiveness, the need of relationship with God, the need to be released from Satan and his world of darkness. Uh, And so the rest of the New Testament, as they ask the question, where do we see the love of God? The answer is in the death of Jesus more than anywhere else. So let me give you a couple. Um, Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we were perfect or good people. While we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John chapter 4, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is love. That selfless, costly love of God and his son laying down his life for us. And so I want to say to each one of us, you matter to God. I want you to hear that. Christ died for us, yes. He died for the world, but he died for you and you and you and you, each one of us. Um, He loves each one of us personally. And even if others treat you and your situation in life as non-urgent, non-important, that's not how Jesus treats you. To Jesus, you and your needs are urgent and important. That's why he was willing to count the cost and lay down his life for you. And so I just want to say, don't hold Jesus at arm's length. Let him meet your needs today. He wants to move you from fear and doubt and uncertainty to faith and confidence and joy and forgiveness and hope. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to heal all our sickness and suffering right now. And, like, that pains us, doesn't it? Uh, We long for complete healing. And so I can relate to these two stories personally. You know, like Jairus, the church leader, uh, and his little daughter... I had a very sick daughter named Rebecca and only eight hours into her life as we prayed for her and watched her life ebb away in our arms, 
we prayed, please God heal our little girl. Uh, but she died eight hours into her life uh, and she would have turned 27 this week. Uh, and so we felt that grief. Uh, and I, I mentioned already, like the bleeding woman, I have a chronic illness, Parkinson's disease, and I've prayed about it and I pray, God, strengthen me, God, heal me, but I still feel the effects in my body, and God has been very kind. He is strengthening me. Please continue to pray. But I know for me and for many of my loved ones and friends, family, just going through chronic illness, it, it is, it's an agonizing thing to go through because it's just, it just simmers away, uh, and, it's, and it doesn't necessarily feel urgent, but it's just wearing and tiring. Uh, and but in the midst of that, so there there are, are needs that I would love to see met right now, and I know Jesus has the power to do it. But I, I also want to say, Jesus doesn't promise that He will heal and deal with every sickness, every illness right now. But there is coming a day when He will, and I want to assure you. I'm still convinced Jesus loves me in the midst of it. He loves my daughter, Rebecca, and he loves each one of you. And he notices us. He cares for us. So the healing miracles of Jesus performed were not promises of complete healing now, but they are certainly a foretaste of the good things to come when complete healing, resurrection, forgiveness... So we have a foretaste of it all in the forgiveness that is already ours. Right? If you come to Jesus, sin is dealt with. Right? You still struggle with it in your life, but it's been paid for. And if you come to Jesus, the Spirit comes into your life, connecting you to God the Father, enabling you to pray in Jesus' name, and changing you to listen to God's word and live a life as a child or daughter of the living God. But when Jesus comes again, he will bring complete and lasting healing. New bodies, resurrected bodies, no more sin, no more shame, no more tears and fears, sickness, oppression, loneliness, all those things will be done away with. No more death. And you think, how good would that be? To be able to face up to all those fears now, knowing that they'll be dealt with very, very soon. And so my question is, will you entrust your life to Jesus' care now? I, I hope and pray you do, because he is the good shepherd, and he can lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, and you need, no, you need fear no evil in his safe, secure arms. And Jesus, I just want to say one thing. Um, Jesus wants us to love one another as he has loved us. Remember on the night before he died, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. That is a big call, isn't it? When you look at Jesus heart and capacity and the costliness of his love to actually i feel the weight of it i've got to say 
it, it feels too big, especially as a pastor. You know, I'm called to shepherd you lot, and there's a lot of you. And, and so I'm not having a go. I'm not, it's good. I love, I love it, right? But it's, it's too big a task. Um, I don't have the capacity, the courage, or the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Right? So don't expect that I will. Um, and, and even Jesus in his earthly ministry, you see the cost of his ministry and his compassion. But so don't look to me, but here is something. Together, wow, what a difference we can make in one another's lives. And that's Jesus' idea. It's not me alone, but together. So that phrase, love one another as I have loved you, that little phrase, one another, keeps coming up again and again in the New Testament. And it is to be the character of Christian fellowship, that we love one another as Jesus loved us. Uh, and, and so it's not just one person doing it, it's an army of people committing seriously to live out Jesus' command to love one another. And Jesus says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. What a difference that would make. So let's model that in our attitude towards each other. And I can tell you how you can do it this morning. As you head out to morning tea and share life with one another, right? You don't have to go there hard there straight away, you know, but don't just deal with each other superficially and don't scurry off, right? You go to morning tea and in that moment, make that other person the most important thing to you in that moment. Because how good is it when someone talks to you like that? And I'm sorry that I, I know that I don't do this all the time. Sometimes I'm talking to one of you and there's another thing that's distracting me over there. Let's, let's work at giving one another that care in the moment and praying for one another. What a beautiful community that would be uh, of love for one another. Uh, and yeah, you have to gather to do this. You can't do it in isolation. So commit to the gathering Commit to a small group. Please commit to a small group because that is the way that we feel like your care can be ensured and the care of others. Uh, and God can use you in that context. But let's take Jesus' challenge to heart, not just an, as an ideal, but something we genuinely seek to live out. Love one another as Jesus has loved you. Now, I promised this at the start, so I have to finish. I know I'm, uh, so let me finish with Ayan Hersey Alley. Remember, she came to regard God as a monster who hated women. She abandoned Islam, turned to atheism. Recently, she has started to get to know Jesus. And I love it. I love her story. A few months ago, she wrote an article, Why I Am Now a Christian. And it kind of, um, I, I read a little reply by Richard Dawkins saying, come on, Ayan, you can't abandon ship. You know, you're letting the atheist down. Um, but she said, I no longer consider myself a Muslim apostate, which she has been for a couple of decades. I now consider myself a lapsed atheist. Lovely little phrase, isn't it? Um, of course, I still have a great deal to learn about Christianity. 
I would not be truthful if I attributed my embrace of Christianity solely to the realisation that atheism is too weak and divisive a doctrine to fortify us against our menacing foes. She's saying it is. Atheism has no power uh, in that sort of way to unite. She says, but I've also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable. Uh, Remember she said earlier, there is nothing more and I want nothing more. But now she's come to a realisation, no, I need something more. Uh, Indeed, life without, ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable, indeed very nearly self-destructive. Atheism failed to answer a simple question, what is the meaning and purpose of life? Christ's teaching, compassion for the sinner and humility for the believer, that's what she's come to be attracted to. I discover a little more at church each Sunday, but I've recognised in my own long journey through a wilderness of fear and self-doubt that there is a better way to manage the challenge of existence than either Islam or unbelief had to offer. Now, I love her humility of, of coming to church to learn about Jesus. It would be intimidating, wouldn't it, to have such a big thinker sitting in the congregation. And I pray that she'll continue to grow in that movement from fear to faith. So, But let me lead us in prayer as we finish up. Dear God, you are our Heavenly Father. You made us, you value each one of us. And you sent your son as a demonstration of your love to lay down his life for us. Please, please strengthen Ayan in her newfound faith as she learns more about Jesus. But we pray the same for each one of us here today. Please help us to move from fear to faith, from shame and guilt and uncertainty to joy and confidence, knowing that we are loved. And please help us to love one another as Christ has loved each one of us, to value one another, to carry each other's burdens, and to pray for one another. And by this we pray all people will know that we are your disciples, to the glory of Christ. Amen.